Welcome to the very first podcast for Exit Up. I'm your host, Zawin Green. Exit Up is dedicated to the misfits, the mess-ups, the miss-outs, the effed up, the fed up, the throwaways, the lost, the forgotten, and everyone else who's been used and abused by organized religion. No matter who you are or where you are, you are anything but alone. This is your place. I'd like to take a moment to give a well-deserved shout-out to all the awesome people at Humanist Global Charity. It has been my honor to be associated with them, watching them grow and do so much good in the world. Every single year, they feed the hungry, they clothe the poor, they provide shelter for the needy. Heck, Humanist Global Charity does more in one year than Jesus did in four damn Gospels. Please look them up online and see all the good things that they're doing in the world, and I hope that you'll consider giving them your support. Thanks. I'm dedicating this first episode of Exit Up to the memory of George Floyd and to the mission of Black Lives Matter. Coming up next... A true story. It was a dark Sunday night, and I was terrified that the boy on the ground was going to die. It was a Sunday night service at Full Gospel Christian Fellowship a church that had rented the auditorium of Ellen R. Hathaway School in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Ellen R. Hathaway was the elementary school that I had attended as a child from kindergarten through sixth grade, but that was decades ago, and every Sunday night, this was my church. Full Gospel Christian Fellowship was, and still is, led by an evangelist who for some reason is convinced that he is a pastor. The one-man show piled into my former school every Sunday night for hours of emotional worship, followed by an hour of explosive preaching. It was a Bible-thumping, Holy Ghost-preaching, God-loving, world-hating, hellfire-and-brimstone-shouting assembly. And on that night, like so many other nights, I was there and I loved every second of it. That fateful night, the pastor was preaching, maybe about holiness or the power of the Holy Ghost. Perhaps he was mid-rant about the horrors of the unsaved world right outside the door. I don't really remember what he was preaching about. But I will always remember something else that happened that night. At some time in the middle of all that worship and prayer and hellfire preaching, I needed to take a bathroom break. So I left the auditorium and walked down the hallway which led to the bathroom. You could hear the pastor's voice clear out in the hallway. It was loud and booming. But suddenly I heard something else. Other voices. Angry voices. Loud and close. Now just before me and to my left were twin doors that opened up to the playground. Which at this moment was where the church members had parked their cars. I thought perhaps that the voices might be somebody going to the church, talking loudly, too loud, and standing too close. So I would just take a look. 
I didn't want them getting into trouble. So I opened up the door and stepped out. But as I did, I saw people I had never seen there before, and they were angry. Young black teenagers, a crowd of them, voices raised, and standing in a circle around a smaller, younger black teenage boy who was supporting himself on crutches. There must have been a disagreement. Someone crossed someone. Somebody did somebody wrong. Something. There was yelling. There were threats. I told myself to go back inside the church. But just as I did, the angriest teenager suddenly grabbed one of the boy's crutches, yanked it from him, and swung it like a home-run swing against his head. And when that wooden crutch connected, the sound of wood against skull sickened me, and I watched in horror as that poor boy crumbled to the hard ground. And I heard a voice. I heard a voice shouting. It was my own voice. And all the other teenagers heard me and fled. They ran like shadows across the lot, then out onto Union Street where they dispersed in different directions. I waited until they were gone. I wasn't stupid. Then I hurried to the boy on the ground. It was like a scene out of a horror movie. He was in convulsions, his head bleeding, not from where the roundhouse swing had connected, but from the free fall impact when his head hit hard asphalt ground. The boy was hurt, bad. It only took a second's glance to see that. There was blood and spit and his trembling body on the hard ground. He needed help now. He needed help before the crowd returned to finish the job. So I quickly ran inside the school, hurried down the hallway, and ran straight to one of the deacons who was seated at the back of the assembly. Please, please, somebody's hurt, I said. We need to get some help. Huh? He looked at me with a confused face. Please, somebody's hurt outside really bad. We need to call an ambulance. Who's hurt? What? What are you talking about? Somebody is hurt outside. They're on the ground. They need help. The deacon looked at me the same way that someone watching sports looks at you when you distract them. Finally, he stood up and we both left the assembly and went to the hallway. What are you talking about, he said. Somebody's hurt outside, I said. I saw them get hurt. They need help. I gestured to the twin doors just ahead. He's right there. He's right outside the door. Please. The deacon still wore that same annoyed look. Who got hurt? Is it somebody that goes to the church? No, I said. It's a boy. It's like a neighborhood kid. The deacon threw both arms in the air. We don't have anything to do with that. 
we're only responsible for what happens inside the church. Then he turned away from me and returned to the service. I decided to try to speak to a different deacon, and I looked in at another entrance. There was a deacon seated in a chair. Please, you've got to help me. Somebody's hurt outside really bad. Please, we need to call an ambulance. Someone's hurt? Who's hurt? Where? Where? And he quickly stood to his feet. But before I could even explain to him, the first deacon came over and said, We don't have anything to do with people that are outside. And that, as they say, was that. Go back to the service. You're making an interruption. The pastor is preaching. I looked at these men with disgust. They were twice my age, and I was raised to respect my elders. But this was wrong. These were deacons. These were the people whose sole job was to help out at the church. These were the people who prayed over the sick. They were the people who ministered to people at the altar. These were the people that you went to when you needed help, and neither of them were doing a damned thing. I tried again and again, but nobody would listen. But just then I had an idea. If church people won't help out, Maybe the janitor will. This was my school, after all, and I knew right where the janitor's office was. So I left the auditorium, walked down the hallway until you reached the end, and sure enough, there was the janitor inside his office. It took about four seconds for me to explain about the plight of the boy unconscious and trembling outside, and probably just a second more for the janitor to lift the receiver on the phone and to call for an ambulance. I thanked the janitor a half a dozen times, maybe more, and then I quickly went on my way to return to the boy to make sure that he was safe. He was right where I had left him, all alone in the dark, on the hard ground, covered in blood and drool. He never woke up. This is not good. Then I heard movement behind me, and I turned and saw the two deacons, who wouldn't do a damn thing, storming my way. What are you making all a fuss about? Look, I said, look right here. He's hurt. He needs help. And he looked at the body of the black boy on the ground, injured. And convulsing. Serves him right, the deacon said. Who wouldn't have gotten hurt if he was inside the service? Ha 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 ha. You shouldn't even be out here, the deacon said. That was your first mistake. I'm waiting out here for the ambulance to come. They were called and they're on their way. Who called an ambulance? The deacon demanded, his voice raised, echoing in the playground. I told the janitor, and he did. Well, get ready to deal with the fallout from all of this, because now you're going to be in trouble. Why am I going to be in trouble? Was I just supposed to let him lay here like this? That's not our responsibility, the second deacon said. We're only responsible for what happens inside the church. You are aware that we rent the auditorium at the church, right? We don't rent any other place in this building. 
Now you're going to get us in trouble. I couldn't believe my ears and the coldness and the words that the men were saying. I couldn't believe my eyes and the anger that they were throwing at me. All because I saw a black boy vulnerable, broken, bleeding, drooling, unconscious, looking like he was about to die. And I'm the one who's in trouble? Just then the first deacon called to the second deacon, Quick, grab his legs. I'll take him by the arms. Now, I don't mean to sound like a hero or the protagonist of this story. At that time in my life, I was probably the most soft-spoken, meek wimp that you could meet. But this was wrong. You can't move a body, I said. Please, let's just wait for the ambulance. But the deacons of full gospel Christian fellowship were having none of it. Let's pick him up and move him off the church property. Yeah, that's a good idea, the other deacon said, a smile creeping across his face. Let's move him to the other side of the school and dump him on the street. Let the world deal with the world there. And both deacons stooped down and started to pick the boy's body up to discard of him on the other side of the school. Take your hands off of him, I said. And then I heard the sound of an ambulance, and I was the one smiling now. Just wait until the pastor hears about what you did. The siren grew louder and closer. Now, just in case you think that I'm embellishing this story and exaggerating about the bad attitudes of the deacons, they were currently discussing whether they should block the entrance to the playground to prevent the ambulance from gaining entrance to save the life of that boy. If that ambulance comes into this parking lot, the neighbor's going to look at us like we've got something wrong with us. No one's going to want to come to this church now, thanks to you. Luckily, it was too late to do anything now. The sirens were loud and close, and the lights of the ambulance were beginning to paint the night with its colors. What happened, I heard a voice say behind me. I turned and looked, and it was an older lady from the church who was leaving. There's a boy who is hurt. An ambulance was called. A brief look of concern washed over her face until she saw that it was a young black boy. Serves him right, she said. These punks, the city's full of them. What do you care what happens to them? They don't go to the church. That's what we were trying to tell him, the second deacon said. But somebody wants to be a hero, as luck would have it. The school doors opened, and people began to leave the church service at the exact same time that the ambulance arrived. Their smiles dissolved into looks of shock and then disgust. What's wrong? What happened? Who called an ambulance? And there, pointing the blame, were two deacons with their fingers pointed at me. Do they go to the church? Somebody asked. No, the deacon quickly answered. Then what do we care about them for? 
That's what I was wondering. One after another, again and again, people leaving the church let me know that they were not pleased. You had no right getting involved with this. That's the world, not the church. That's what happens when you're in the world. You're going to get the pastor in trouble. At least 20 minutes had passed since the boy was first hurt. And he was still on the ground and unconscious. The people that passed by gave him no mind. The few that did look stared down at him with disgust as though he was a fresh piece of dog turd on their sacred ground. The paramedics started tending to the boy, trying to get him to wake up. But some from the church started to complain that the ambulance was blocking their cars in and they didn't want to wait. Thankfully, the paramedics gave them no mind and instead gave their full attention to the very injured, unconscious boy. Just then, I heard a voice behind me. What's going on here? What happened? It was the senior pastor's voice. Oh, no. I turned around and looked at his face, hoping for even a hint of understanding from him. He was holy. He was wise. He was the guy who taught us all about Jesus. Certainly he would understand. But his face, like everything else that night, was painted in the swirling colors of that ambulance, and he was not pleased. He didn't listen to me. He didn't ask for my side of the story. Instead, his deacons filled him in. What felt like minutes passed, and I watched as the paramedics took the injured boy away. Even in the turmoil of things, I couldn't help but feel a sense of relief that the boy was finally safe. But as I turned back around, I looked at the face of the senior pastor, and he was wincing at the brightness of the lights, disgusted on how they painted the streets. And then he looked at me with a face of perfect disappointment. His deacons continued to berate me, but he lifted his hand and they ceased. I'll handle this, he said. And the senior pastor pulled me aside and spoke these words to me. He never raised his voice, but I could tell that he was pissed at me. He looked at me with all the seriousness of a doctor explaining that you had cancer. He never blinked. This is what I'm going to do, he said. Because of what you did, first thing tomorrow morning, I am going to call up the principal of Hathaway School and beg her forgiveness. And you better hope that that is enough for us to be able to continue to meet at this church or you better find somewhere else to go to. I couldn't believe my ears. I couldn't believe this was happening. I thought he was going to die, I said. He's not 
our responsibility, the pastor said. Well, can we get together people to go to the emergency room to see if he even survives the night? His family needs to know what happened to him. But the pastor simply replied, I think you've done enough damage tonight. And then he turned and walked away. The story I just told you is true. Every word of it. It happened years ago. But that church is still a church and that pastor still preaches. And believe it or not, those deacons have become ministers themselves. There are two things that I remember so well about that night that I can still see them when I close my eyes. The first is what the form of that broken boy looked like. Vulnerable, convulsing, and his own blood and drool. And the second is what the street looked like as I walked all the way back home. I hardly looked up. My head was lowered. My shoulders dropped. I was confused and deeply saddened. How could it be so wrong to care for somebody? I don't even know if the boy survived. Thanks for listening to the story. Unfortunately, every word of it was true. Before I end this podcast, I'm going to leave you with some questions. Now, I don't know you. In fact, I don't know a thing about you. But if you've listened this far into the podcast, that tells me that you're either emotionally or intellectually involved, perhaps a little of both. So I want to ask you, you know what I did in the story. But what would you have done? If you stepped outside and you saw a teenage boy struck unconscious and convulsing on the hard ground, what would you have done that night? Would you have gone to a deacon and begged them to call for an ambulance? Would you have run to a neighbor's house and pounded on the door? What would you have done? Here's my second question. Why did others in the church, including people in authority, not want to get involved when it came to their attention that there was a boy unconscious and bleeding right outside their door? Why didn't they want to deal with it? Here is my third question. What are the core values of a church like this? The church in this story was a real church and still is. And like so many other churches, especially Pentecostal ones, this church preaches and sincerely believes that they are light bringers, that they offer hope in the darkness, heck, the only hope, that they are a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hid. And in spite of Jesus teaching in the Gospels the story of the Good Samaritan and commending someone who tended to the needs of not just a stranger who they found wounded when on their way, but someone who is an enemy. This is a story in the Bible, and this is a Bible-believing church. What are their core values that made it so easy for them 
to disobey the words of their own Savior and to choose to ignore someone who is in dire need of help, someone who is not an enemy, someone who is just a teenager, a black teenage boy. What are the core values that cause this? And the last question I want to ask you is this. What are your core values? What is your truth? What guides your ship? What are your core values? In closing, I want to say that this podcast will be dedicated to teaching about what are my core values now. The 10 Humanist Commitments. I am dedicating an entire year of podcasts to teaching them. It's time that we recognize the hurt that organized religion can sometimes do. And it's time that we construct alternatives and houses of influence to challenge them. That's a daunting task. Whether we like it or not, we live in a world ruled by religion. Even when it doesn't act that way. But the secret is not to worry about doing it all but just to do what's right. So with that said, if you see someone in need this week or this month or this year, you be the help that others might not be. I'm Zawin Green. Thanks for listening.